It's time for security now. Steve Gibson's here. It's a patch Tuesday. Steve will have info, or was yesterday, have some information about that. Plus, uh, your questions and Steve's answers. We've got a lot of questions and answers to get through, so stick around. Security Now is next. Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Audio bandwidth for Security Now is provided by the new Winamp for Android, featuring wireless sync and one-click iTunes import. Now with free daily music downloads and full-length CD listening parties. Download it for free at winamp.com slash Android. Bandwidth for Security Now is provided by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson. Episode 430, recorded November 13th, 2013. Your questions, Steve's answers, number 178. Security Now is brought to you by GoToAssist from Citrix. Take control of your IT world from one simple cloud-based platform. Provide live or unattended support to all your users anywhere. Sign up for your 30-day free trial today. Visit GoToAssist.com and use the promo code SECURITY. And by audible.com to download a free audiobook of your choice go to audiblepodcast.com slash security now and by pro xpn pro xpn is a virtual private network that allows you to use the internet the way it should be anonymously and without oversight for 20 percent off your on your new account go to proxpn.com slash twit and use the offer code sn20 it's time for Security Now, the show that covers your security and privacy online with this guy, our protector-in-chief, Mr. Stephen. I want to say Tiberius, but now I know it's Maury. It kind of takes the fun out of it. Stephen yeah. Maury Gibson. <laughs> hey, Steve. <laughs> hey, Leo. Great to be with I you. Check your Wikipedia. Has it been corrected? or? Uh... So, okay, so I learned something last week. Uh-oh. Everyone likes... Having a little snippet at the beginning of the show talking about what we're going to talk about, but it's really bad if we tell them what we're going to oh, talk about and don't, and then don't. Oh, because among the things that I said I would share, and I, you know, because it was sort of superfluous, I pushed it out toward the end. Uh-oh. Was my favorite iPhone five case that I found after truly getting them all. Yeah, forget and, all the security stuff, Steve. What about iPhone 5 cases? And my Twitter feed went nuts. Did it really? Oh, with with people, you know, as they really? were, like, throughout the week, as they were listening to the podcast, saying, hey, you never told us. I was like, oh, okay, that's true. Okay, come so, on now. 20 people at most. Uh, okay, 20, yeah. You got 70,000 people listening to you. 20 <laughs> people cared. Let's not, go, let's not go overboard here. So enough, what is? What is? Enough to tweet. Enough to tweet. What is your enough favorite? Okay, are you going to do it now or you want to just tease us? No. God, I, actually, at the top of the show, I'm not making that mistake again. At the top of the show, I'm going to uh, cover all the things that I promised to cover at the end of the last show before we, before we start the new show. Okay, but before we so do. So we're, we're pulling up the tail end. Of last week, then we're going to plow in, talk about the week's news. We've got uh, so we have all of last week's tidbits. We've got a Patch Tuesday. This is second second Tuesday of November. Uh, in this case, uh, we got great Q and A, a bunch of Bitcoin happenings, and good stuff to talk about. So yeah, yeah. A great podcast. And yeah. 
you will in moments learn what Steve's favorite iPhone case is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> before, right you, before you do, just what coffee are you drinking tonight? That's just mine. That's Starbucks espresso that I grind and then drip. But what? Brew. But what? But what? Which Starbucks? Which one do you buy? What the flavor? Do you get the oh Cafe Verona? I, no, do you get no, no, the? No, there is nothing for espresso except espresso. It's just espresso. Oh, okay. They, yeah. they don't have a fancy name for it. No, espresso. Okay. Quantico, you're going to have it when I'm when I'm up I there. I'm, gonna, making, I'm making, making you a cup. Our show today brought to you, we're going to get to all of that in a moment. But first, a word from our friends at Citrix, the folks who do the great go-to assist. If you're in IT or an IT pro, you know that one of the keys to your success in being an IT pro is being proactive. Getting to the problems, solving the problems before they become big problems. And that's where Citrix can really help you with GoToAssist. I know you've heard of GoToAssist. Probably still think of it as a remote support tool. And indeed, they are the leader in remote support. Nobody's better. They've been doing it for 10 years now and are still number one in remote support. But they've really added to the power of GoToAssist now. Three cloud-based integrated support tools that all work together. You choose one module, two, or all three. The remote support, we'll talk about that first. You probably already know about it. It's the best in the business. Unlimited live end-user support. You can do it unattended as well, up to eight machines at once. That's nice. You can start an install, running on another, move to the next, move to the next. Team-based support. You can do mobile device remote support using your iPad or Android mobile device. Connect to computers and fix the problem. You can be on the road and getting the job done. Likely, if you're good at this, you're on the road from one client to another. Customer-initiated support. they uh, All sorts of useful stuff. Two-way screen sharing, so you can say it's supposed to look like this. <laughs> remote diagnostics. Annotation tools, in-session chat, of course, Mac, PC, and mobile as well. But that's uh, the remote support. Let's talk about the service desk. Easily manage incidents. Of course, you know, keeping track of incidents is so important. Intelligently route service desk records and assign appropriate priorities. They've got a custom self-service portal with your branding. It's white-labeled, so you can make it look like your own to deliver knowledge where users need it. Uh... You've got it all. Ticketing and incident management, problem management, change management. Okay, so that's that's module number two. The third module, which I really love, is the monitoring module. This is where you become the proactive support pro. You run the crawler on your client network. It knows everything, hardware and software. You can monitor. You create your own dashboard. Now, they have built-in uh, dashboard uh, widgets, but you can create your own, too. Track everything, network performance to toner cartridge perf- <laughs> capacity. The alerts can come in via instant messenger, text, or email, or all three. So you'll know ahead of time what's going on with your clients and swoop in and be a proactive user. Click that Try It Free button. Please use our offer code SECURITY. Let them know you heard about it on Security Now. Just security is the word. And uh, make sure you check all three boxes so you can try all three. The promo code SECURITY at gotoassist.com. 30 days absolutely free. If you're in this business or you want to become like a managed services provider, this is the ticket. Go to assist.com. Steve Gibson, Leo Laporte. Do you want to start with the case? <laughs> yeah, because that's what we didn't, what we did, didn't, we, we didn't wrap up last week. I, uh, nothing is going to keep me from telling everybody 
Oh, <laughs> uh, we I got found? another commercial, Steve. Oh, wait a minute. There's a fire. Oh, no. Oh. <laughs> All right. Go ahead. I won't stop you. Okay. So for me, the case is really important. One of the things, the first thing I noticed about the iPhone 5 is it desperately wants to leap out of your hands and fall on the ground. <laughs> and you're talking I mean, you a know, 5, 5S. The 5S, yeah, okay. which, I've, which I bought. It's and I, uh, as I've mentioned, I switched over from, um, from a BlackBerry finally. I had a neat sort of a really high-endurance rubber case for the BlackBerry that I, that I liked a lot. And, and several times it did get out of my control and, you know, drop on the ground and there was no harm done thanks to having a case. So there's just no way I'm not having a case. I mean, the iPhone 5 is just it's just beautiful by itself, but it's just dying to break. I mean, it's it's you know, as as we know, nature hates uh, a perfect uh, device. <laughs> a, exactly. Sharp edges. Sharp edges. It and, a and It absolutely does. It, 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 it's always going towards entropy, and it wants to turn my beautiful iPhone 5 into something far more entropic than Apple originally designed it to be. And just, I mean, I'm nervous holding it because it just feels like it's going to, you know, again, just it's slippery. It's gorgeous, but it needs a case. Yeah. So. I set off on the quest, as I do whenever there's a new device for a case. And the only way to really figure it out is to try them. So I truly have about 50 that I got <laughs> of all different kinds. And I have a big box of them. <laughs> and, and, and other people will get... You know, like, like the after, you know, the, the the cases that I didn't like if they want a case for their iPhone 5. I took the box to Starbucks one morning because there were a bunch of people who had iPhone 5s with no case. Yeah. And even their phones were making me nervous. <laughs> Just like, you know, 10 feet away, I was worried about their phone because it's like, oh, my God, look at that. It's gorgeous, but it's trying not to be. So I gave them, I said, here, here's here. It's like, you know, remember in the old days when you used to go to the dentist, you could pick a toy out yeah, of the, the big, treasure chest. Yeah, the treasure chest. Exactly. <laughs> so I said, here's cases I'm not using. Which, which do you like best? And so happily now, everybody at Starbucks has their iPhone 5s covered in a case that I'm not using. That's funny. Which they're quite happy with because they love the price, which, of course, was free um, for myself. I settled on the ultimate case after trying all the cases that Incipio, and that's the I-N-C-I-P-I-O, that's the company. And actually, I really like their cases in general. They've got, I mean, they, they go way overboard, though. They've got some that, like, are rated to, to 30 meters below the water line. You can dive with it, or it can, you know, like fall in the toilet when you're, using your phone at the wrong time, whatever. Um, those, however, you feel like you can't even reach your phone any longer. It's a miracle that the touchscreen works through this thing because, I mean, it's like, you know, dragging a tank around with you. So we don't want that. Other bad cases are flimsy or they're, they're, there's a new trend. I like the feel of rubber. I don't like the feel of that silicone. You know, it's just... It's just a little too greasy feeling. Anyway, so the correct case is the Incipio Dual Pro. They call it a Dual Pro because it's actually, it's, a, it's two parts. 
it's got an inner lining which is very silicone rubbery but then and, and so you fit that around the phone first i hope and you then got you the pink one for Jenny, Jenny got the two-tone <laughs> pink. That one, the one that's on the screen right now. That's the one I got for and Jenny. You got, I'm thinking I, black and gray. No, I got black and black. They actually have black on black. <laughs> oh, pardon and me. I gave my. I was a little too fancy. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, well, black and gray. Somebody else got that. Somebody, I, I don't think it was Mark. I like the so, black and red. I'd get that one. So the the inner yeah. case has color, and then the outer case, the shell. Yes, and and so the advantage is. First of all, it's it's not it doesn't have that slippery silicone feel, which isn't grippy enough. You want something that's gonna just sort of wants to stay in your hand rather than escape from your hand. And so anyway, that's the one. The the inner the inner lining gives it good shock proofness, and the outer lining makes it feel firmer than if it, if the whole thing was just you know shockproof. So that's the one in Scipio Dual Pro. Oh, and on Amazon it's like eight dollars. What eight thirty four or something? Well, the it's list very is thirty, in- which is fairly I know. reasonable for a case. Uh, yes, and wow. Amazon has it for eight, eight, eight or nine, like oh, less good. than nine. I think it's eight something. Excellent. All right. So that's it. Now the other thing that happened that I had in my notes from last week is that I was recommending the uh, Calumel add-on for Firefox because those guys were uh, did you find it there for like six dollars eight dollars and five cents yep that's a bargain baby that is a good grab it yeah it's a great case that's my chosen case although now I'm looking over here and these people we were talking about before those tilt people the t-y-l-t people yeah they've got some too so it's like oh Uh, darn it this is an addiction that never ends you might as well Seems a shame. Well, you got such a beautifully designed phone. I, Johnny Ives is oh, kind of rolling his grave, oh, even though he's not dead. I know. Except, I mean, and it is. It is. In fact, every time I was changing cases, there was a moment where, you know, nature was conspiring against me. Am I going to drop this gorgeous piece of. You, you know, know, my kids never you have used cases, and they drop them wow. all the time, and they smash them all the time. And I beg them, I plead with them, I yell at them, I say, you must. Uh, Daddy won't buy you another phone. <laughs> you know everything, but the they don't want the kids don't want cases. They want to show off, I guess, what they got. Yeah, it is gorgeous. They dress oh, like. And that, by the too. way, you know that the least the least popular color turned out to be of the iPhone five turned out to be the gold. It's like almost no one wants the gold. Of course, that's what I bought, and everybody I know bought. Sarah got one. I heard she was yeah, saying I that gold and yeah. black. Black is more than half the. What is it? Then it's white is like three is like a is like a third, and then gold is the remainder. So, yeah, I didn't realize it was so. Uh, huh. It might be too ostentatious yeah. for some. So, uh, the Calumel add-on for Firefox is cool because it shows you about perfect forward secrecy. It also rates GRCs. Security as like awful. Who? Who? <laughs> so it's like ouch. So after I recommended it, people began sending me, you know, email and tweets saying, "Hey, uh, why is GRC security so crappy?" And it's like, okay, you know, <laughs> unfortunately, a company that's going to be making a big deal about security is all about finding something wrong because if it just says everybody's wonderful. You're going to start saying, oh, well, okay, why am I running this? So 
here's the problem is it's it's caught us in this dilemma we've been in this dilemma for a while where you had to choose between perfect forward secrecy or being immune to the beast attack and it used to be that SSL Labs so so first of all none of this is really about what's secure or not i mean um the fact that we're not offering perf- that GRC is currently not using preferentially a perfect forward secrecy cipher doesn't mean that our security is crappy it means like nobody else is either but we're not and and arguably okay GRC should be instead We've been protecting people from the beast attack, which is also, like, dumb because you have to send millions of of connections and variable-sized packets and go through all this ridiculous stuff to create this theoretical beast problem. SSL Labs was used to be raiding people who did not prevent the beast attack poorly. So I put a beast attack mitigation at the top of GRC's cipher suite so that SSL Labs would give me an A, which we now have. Unfortunately, Calumel gives me an, oh my God, why are you even bothering um, rating? Because they rate perfect forward secrecy higher. So I'm unable to keep everybody happy, except that SSL Labs just changed their rating and decided, okay, Beast is not a problem anymore because all the browsers support it. And in fact, with Mavericks, the Safari browser was the last holdout where the browser wasn't handling Beast attack mitigation on its own, which it is now. So that allowed SSL Labs to to change things around at their end and downplay the importance of beast so grc now needs to again play this ridiculous shuffling game of cipher suites to put perfect forward secrecy ciphers which are the ones that use ephemeral diffie hellman key negotiation at the top of its list so i'm going to do that except that i hate rebooting my server because it takes grc offline for several minutes because servers are now so so slow to reboot that 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 annoys me and i haven't had to reboot since sometime in march so i'm reluctant to do that but i will so that's the whole story for anybody who's worrying about why grc apparently has crappy security <laughs> we don't it's just that the calumel people are very unimpressed with the fact that we're not offering perfect forward secrecy and we are offering you know beast attack mitigation although now all the browsers are doing that for the user so the server doesn't have to. So I'll, I'll get it changed. How hard is but, it to implement uh, perfect forward secrecy? Nothing. It's just you, just you just change your cipher suite order around so that the server agrees, you know, to, to offer those at its preference. Uh, and, then, and then the browser says, oh, look, you, you know, they're offering this. So we'll, we'll take that. Awesome. Yeah. Not hard at all. Um. Also, I, ta- I was promised last week to talk about the my feelings about the iPad Air. I love it. I I absolutely do. I think it is great. The Mini went on sale yesterday, and I tweeted that news to everybody, and a bunch of people who were following me didn't know that, and so they 
ordered their mini. I ordered one because I need to see which I like best, the iPad Air or the mini. They have the same resolution. The mini is just, you know, in terms of pixel count, the mini is just obviously smaller and lighter. So I just, there's no way to know in the Apple store, you hold it and it's like, oh, look how small this is. But, you know, you have to use it for a while to get a sense for that. So um, I will let people know it's like five to 10 days uh, delivery they're, they're quoting when I ordered it. So uh, we'll find out. And the last on my list for, of, actually, no, second to the last is a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned Spinrite's real-time data viewport that allowed you to actually see the data on your drive. And it was a cool way to determine whether a the drive had been wiped because on a non-wiped drive, you'll actually see the data flashing by the window. Many people commented that they never realized that and and liked that fact. So I just wanted to follow up and mention that um, you can also, one, one of the features of, of Spinrite 6 is you can tell it at what percentage of the drive you want it to start, which allows you to use this viewport window and, and that to quickly check like the middle of the drive and toward the end of the drive just to make sure that it all got scanned. Because remember, we were detecting lazy employees who were not scanning the whole – or who were actually not scanning the drive at all. They were just el- eliminating the, the partition table and maybe the directory or something at the beginning of the drive. They were doing some small little delete at the beginning, which was not protecting their employer's data. So you could interrupt Spinrite. And then restart it at 50%, take, take a look, you know, like look through the little window, the magic looking glass to see what the drive looks like there. Then interrupt it, go to 99.9 and look at the end of the drive just to see whether the whole thing was wiped out. So little usage tip for people who like that little viewport. And finally, uh, I also promised that I would give people an update on the Squirrel project. We're a week further along. Um, we're continuing to come along beautifully. Um, Pretty much everything has been agreed to in the group. Uh, We wrapped up the questions of what we were going to do for version one for phishing and man in the middle attack mitigation. Uh, The format of, of interchanging arguments back and forth has been arrived at. Um, And now I'm working on updating the web, the GRC's web pages to be current to what has been agreed. We, we only then need to resolve the detailed interaction protocol, and then it's time to start writing code. Uh, there is a wiki which is up that is being independently maintained by a bunch of, of the guys who are on the uh, participating in the news group, but also sort of doing a sort of a more formal style um, specification than I am. I'm sort of more tutorial and more graphics and, uh, you know, sort of expository approach to this is how it works and what it does. So uh, we're continuing. It's got my full-time attention. We're uh, working to just nail down the final aspects of the specification. And then I and everybody else who wants to do their own versions will be writing code to support uh, this logon system. And everyone is it's quite excited about it. That's neat. And I had in my notes something that 
I didn't get to last week because it was also sort of at the end. And I, I wanted to thank our listeners on Jenny's behalf because apparently they were just wonderful uh, with like following up on uh, the news of the book that she had published. Remember that she had a book published actually, and I talked about it when you were on vacation, Leo, uh, titled Is God Real or Pretend? And one of our listeners, she got a bunch of email from listeners mentioning the fact that they were listeners. And I guess she has her email address at like at the end of the book. And so they were writing to her and she asked if they would, if they would be so kind as to post those uh, as feedback on Amazon. And so one of them, I just wanted to share from a listener because it was so neat. Uh, someone, whoever you are, said no that their their title was "No Wonder This Is a Bestseller." This was dated October twenty third, and they wrote, "Is God real or pretend?" Is such a brilliant concept to begin with, and so smartly executed to have a young boy searching for the answer to this age old question with members of his own family having vastly different opinions, is a fantastic premise. On top of that, Ms. Horsman has written a book for everyone and that she, that she so cleverly camouflaged as a children's book. That the, Our listener of Security Now said, I learned several things I never knew before. I've never read a children's book that deals with such an incredibly heavy topic, let alone written in such an easy-to-understand style with common-sense conclusions. And this, this reviewer goes on. But anyway, I just wanted to thank our listeners on Jenny's behalf for, for being so neat about that. I really appreciate it, and she did too. News, my friend? You ready for some news? Yeah, why don't we... Uh, I, I detected the pause, mm -hmm. and I think this might be a good time. We have questions. We do. We've got news... Well, yeah, let's do the news. I have two more commercials. I've got an Audible and a Pro XBN. So I think after the news, we'll do the Audible. How about that? Okay. All right. Okay. So um, t this is important. Um, I tweeted this a couple days ago. Uh, this, is, this is a growing problem that Microsoft did not deal with yesterday in their second Tuesday of the month, Patch Tuesday. And that's this... this um, tagged image file format, zero-day flaw, which is ramping up rapidly in, in the level of, ex of exploitation. Um, I wasn't aware, but you were, Leo, and many of our listeners were, that the TIFF file format is in such heavy use now. I'm just sort of seeing, I guess, GIF and JPEG and, or GIF, depending on how you pronounce it, and, and PNG file formats, but obviously... TIFF, TIFF, is still very popular. Um, writing for Information Week, Matthew Schwartz said, warning, attacks against a zero-day vulnerability in Microsoft Office are more extensive than first believed. That finding further reinforces security experts' recommendation that businesses install an emergency mitigation technique released by Microsoft as quickly as possible. We did talk about it last week. I wanted to remind people that I created a bit.ly link, bit.ly slash notiff, N-O-T-I-F-F. That will take you to the Microsoft page where there is one of their little quick one-click fix-it buttons, which 
which simply adds a line to the registry, making it very easy for anyone to do. And that line disables TIFF format, the the TIFF format codec. So uh, what's happening is we didn't get a fix yesterday for that. We did get a different IE zero-day fix that I'll talk about in a second. But this one is still a problem. So if you're not a person who is using TIFF format images, it's probably a good idea if, if there's really, really no reason not to disable it. When Microsoft does their patch, they will, they will remove this temporary fix from the registry and fix the problem. And I'm sure we'll get that in December's Patch Tuesday, if not before. I mean, they, they may do an, an, an out-of-cycle an out update because this thing is really causing problems and is, is ramping up. So that could certainly happen. But for now, I wanted to, to tell people that, that the security community is getting more and more concerned about this because we're seeing the incidences of this happening. And it is trivial to exploit. That's the problem. All you have to do is get is get an image to be seen. So email with a TIFF image embedded in it, uh, uh, office documents with with a TIFF image. I'm not sure about drive by, IE, but um, it, it's you know people are just being too vulnerable to this. So disabling that would be a good thing. And we are second Tuesday of the month. Uh, we got eight patches from Microsoft addressing 19 vulnerabilities. 13 of those 19 were, were the worst kind, remote code execution, high priority, no action required on the part of the user. So it would be a good idea to update yourself. One of these things was something we haven't seen for a long time, and that was a WordPad exploit. It's a, it was in the GDI, the graphics device interface layer, um, which unfortunately Microsoft, as we've talked about before, moved down into the Windows kernel, which made it for the sake for, for the sake of efficiency, but which makes it much more prone to exploitation. So, um, you know, you want to just essentially this is not a big set of patches, but they are important. And one for IE addresses a brand new zero day flaw which was just disclosed, but yesterday the exploit details appeared on Pastebin. So the, the fact that the exploit itself is public worries people a lot more, and they're expecting to see this also ramp up very quickly. So the, the, the advice in the security community is do not delay on implementing these any more than you have to. And Microsoft is now prioritizing these, and like the, the, the IE patch is among the top three highest priority recommendations because it's expected to be seen uh, in, in high, uh, high exploitation soon. We got an, also a, uh, a Flash Player update from Adobe, we're now at 11.9.900.152. Uh, IE 10 and 11 on Windows 8 will update automatically. We know that Chrome updates automatically. Um, to check whether you're updated, 
you want to go to adobe.com slash software slash flash slash flash slash about and uh and in firefox it showed me that i was not at point one five two i was at point one one something so um i will need to to uh get myself updated and uh people who are not protecting themselves. You know, the only reason Flash ran for me because I'm running NoScript is that I, I was, I'd already trusted the Adobe.com site to, to run things. And so it did. People who are protected by NoScript really don't have, they have less to worry about. Um, Bitcoin, gosh, lots of news. Uh, have you seen the value of a Bitcoin, Leo? Know, at last I checked, it was 260 bucks. What's it now? Seven. Says four. I'm sorry, what? not seven. Four seventeen. Oh, I but see. Four twenty nine is a high. Four, yes, four twenty eight was when I looked. Holy cow! What is going on? Yep. Uh, it's not clear what's going on. It was three fifty on Friday. Now we're at four twenty eight, four twenty nine. It's really cranking along. I look so at my, my little. Fi- I th- you got fifty. <laughs> my fifty bitcoins are are worth something now. But like any investment, it timings everything. Do you sell now? Well, that's just watch it. it go I, up, I, or do you... it's, it's always worth noting. I think some, maybe someone's, I think somebody quoted Kevin as saying, you know, our Kevin as saying that he was selling at 350. I, mean, I think that might have been what it was. And of course, now we're. Uh, you know, at 429. We have a so. Bitcoin uh, donate box, as you know, on the front page, and I haven't checked in a while. I see my balance is now 7.3 Bitcoin, so uh, I'm rich! Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's crazy. Of course, uh, now that I'm off the meth, I don't really, and Silk Road, you know, is closed. I don't really have anything to do with them, but yeah, I guess, I guess you can uh, buy okay. cupcakes in San Francisco with Bitcoin, so it's a lot so, of cupcakes. Or you can uh, use them to donate. The EFF takes them again. That's right. So that's that's right. That's an, a I nice already thing. give uh, give. I can't remember what it is. A couple hundred bucks a month to EFF. So here's in, the in, problem: in real American dollar. <laughs> Bitcoins have become money, and people are having a whole t- hard time holding on to them online. There was a major yeah. breach last week. One point two million dollars which is now 1.5. So they didn't denominate it in Bitcoins at the time. It was 4,100 Bitcoins. And, and this was an online exchange called Input.io. Now, the problem is we know that it's difficult. I mean, security is hard. That's the overriding topic of this podcast. Now you've got the typical... Problems. I mean, we had a lot of fun at Adobe's expense last week, and I mean, they deserved it because their password technology was so lame. I mean, it was so badly broken. But, you know, this is Adobe. So here we've got some random input.io Bitcoin exchange. Who knows who they are, what their security policies are, how good their back end stuff is? Well, apparently it wasn't good enough. Because they lost 4,100 of their customers' bitcoins. Whoops. Whoops. Yes. And the guy said, I'm sorry, but I don't have that many bitcoins. I can, I will do what I can to, to make the best of this. I've got 1,540. And 
I'm willing to pay my customers back, what, a quarter or wow. so. But that's all they could do. So then a, a frequent tweeter friend of the show, Ian Beckett, uh, sent me a note about Pando Daily is another uh, – this is, this is a fraudulent Bitcoin exchange, a Chinese Bitcoin exchange who cost clients – and uh, this was – again, this is all – this is not in Bitcoins, but this was in dollars. At the time, this was like yesterday or maybe the day before, might have been Monday, $4.1 million in fraud – so this was a fraudulent exchange that set up shop, said, hey, uh, we're a Bitcoin exchange. Put your, you know, put your Bitcoins here. And at the time that they had $4.1 million worth of them, they just went off the net. They said, thank you very much. And they disappeared. Mm. So It's like so a honeypot, really. The lesson, yes, the lesson is... Do I mean everybody store your own bitcoins in a machine, preferably not one on the net. I mean, this is real money now. This is becoming this is becoming serious. So you do not want your wallet. I mean, they're like online wallets. Bad idea. Do not trust an online company with your wallet. You know, unless in your mother is a security genius. And and you would trust your mother with your money. But, you know, you're just not – you don't want to trust some – I mean, this is real money. It's one thing to lose your identity. It's another thing to lose, you know, what are my 50 bitcoins worth now, you know, at, at $430. That's, <laughs> that's serious coinage. Yeah. So. Wow. Yeah. I would, I would say to everybody, uh, it's, you know – it's becoming serious when bitcoins are worth real money. We had some humor from the Twitterverse that I wanted to share. Um, a Kevin Mager, M-E-A-G-H-E-R, uh, tweeting as the Kevin Marr, M-A-R-R, he said, and re referring to last week's um, Adobe password fiasco, he said, Steve, you have answered the age-old question, Ginger or Marianne? <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> and you have to be of a certain age to understand the, the reference to the question. This, of course, the, is like, the two comely women on Gilligan's Island. Gilligan's Island, One yes. who was a movie star, the other who was a country girl. Yep, and, Ginger uh, or Marianne. Ginger's the movie star, Marianne the country girl. and the, So the Kevin noted that Ginger made it onto the list. Ginger was 94 and Marianne was nowhere to be found. Just so, like in the uh, show's uh, opening theme. The uh -huh. movie star, the professor, and Marianne. They had to add that later on. So, it used to be uh, and our, the our, rest. Yeah, our but. frequent contributor, this is not related to the podcast. These are, Simon, these are in passwords. People were using Ginger and Marianne in passwords. Or yeah, using Ginger, Ginger was a not password. Marianne. Yes, Ginger made it. She was 94, not as popular as Monkey. So I'm thinking figure. Ginger is somebody's dog's name, and that's why it's so popular. That's, 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 that's like probably a dog's name, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. 
If, yeah, if you name your dog Monkey, there's probably something wrong with you. So. And not many Go people have monkey. dogs named Marianne. <laughs> Ginger, though. Ginger is probably Ginger's a more a popular dog. dog. Name, yeah. 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 So Simon Zarafa, just out of nowhere, I don't know where he comes up with this stuff. He said, he said at SGGRC, so he mentioned me in his, in his feed, he said, as a child, I was obsessed with the difference between sine and cosine. <laughs> as one, I got that's older. That's one weird kid. <laughs> yeah. He said, as I got older, I realized it was just a phase. So. Anyway. And John didn't like that joke. <laughs> okay. Ge- and geometry have- humor. There's nothing like it. <laughs> Trigonometry humor. Yeah. And well, and then I told him, I said, I think I think I'm going to use it on the show, Simon. And he says, Well, just don't go off on a tangent. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I did get, and I haven't shared with listeners for quite a while, a testimonial. This was a good one um, that I thought was interesting, and there's a moral to the story. Also, this is from our, a listener of ours, Tyson, in Texas. I ran across it this morning dated the 9th of November, so it was last Saturday, and the title was, the subject was Spinright Saves the Year. Mm. And I don't quite understand the subject line, but he wanted to get my attention, and he did. He said, hi, Steve. I just wanted to share with you an interesting little Spinright story of mine. I purchased a copy of Spinright a few years ago after hearing you talk about it in an early episode of Security Now, and have used it many times since to bring failing hard drives back to life. On one occasion, a friend brought his laptop to me, saying that it would no longer boot into Windows. In fact, it simply said, no bootable device. He said that this was his work laptop, which contained all his documents and files pertaining to his business. I asked him if he had a backup of these files somewhere else, And he said that he did not. Whoops. Of course, I knew immediately that I was going to run Spinrite on the drive, but wanted to first back up any files that I could access in case the drive was so far gone that the very act of running Spinrite might push it over the edge and it would be gone forever. The drive did appear in the BIOS. So I booted the laptop using a Windows recovery CD and tried accessing the drive through a command prompt to see if I could at least verify that his files were still intact. But the drive was nowhere to be found. I tried again using a bootable Linux CD. No hard drive found. I then removed the drive from his laptop and attached it as a slave to my desktop PC. Windows would not even acknowledge that the drive existed. Finally, I loaded up Spinrite. It saw the drive and began running very, very slowly. After several hours, Spinrite had not even completed 1% of the drive. But the bits were still churning away, so I knew it must be doing something. I told my friend that the only option I could see at this point having tried everything else, were to either give Spinrite all the time it needed to attempt recovery or say goodbye to his files forever, for which there was no backup. 
He agreed to let me keep his laptop until Spinrite either completed the process or got stuck trying. We set the laptop aside in the corner. Oh, and so I, he put the he put the drive back in his laptop and then ran Spinrite. Re restarted Spinrite on his laptop. He didn't spe specifically say that, but that must have been what happened. Letting it just run the corner of the room and left it to run overnight. When I came in the next morning, to my surprise, Spinrite was still running and had now completed about 2% of the drive. Nevertheless, the status showed that the bits of the data were still being read, so I continued to let it run. Day after day after day. After about two full weeks of continuous operation, Spinrite had churned through about 50% of the drive and showed a ton, he has in all caps, of red unrecovered sectors. With nothing to lose, I continued to let Spinrite run, glancing over its progress every day or two. Finally, one day, I walked over to the laptop and saw Spinrite had actually completed. The process had taken just over one month. I restarted the computer and held my breath. To my amazement, it booted straight into Windows without any, he has in all caps, trouble, and all, in all caps, of my friend's business documents were present and undamaged. I quickly backed everything up to a flash drive and then burned a second backup to a CD. I advised my friend to buy a new hard drive since this one was bound to give out at any moment and also suggested that he start making backups <laughs> of everything from now on. After this experience, Steve, more than ever, I am a true believer in Spinrite. It may have taken over 800 hours of continuous operation, but it completely, he has in all caps, recovered a hard drive that appeared to be totally dead and hopeless. Not only did it recover the important documents, but even allowed the system to boot as if nothing had ever gone wrong in, in the first place. Thank you for this amazing program. I'll be buying your new upcoming version of Spinrite as soon as it's available. Actually, it's going to be free for him um, since the next version will be a free upgrade for everyone. And he signed it, Tyson from Texas. So I just wanted to say to people that, you know, that kind of lengthy recovery is very unusual. Typically, it's a few hours, not hundreds. And the other thing is, I mean, this is an instance where the first thing I think of is, oh, my goodness, if this person had only been running Spinrite from time to time, this level of ca catastrophic damage would have never had a chance to accumulate. You know, a laptop is a rough environment for a hard drive. Um, it's just in inherently getting bounced around. And if there were, you know, this kind of damage spread across the entire drive, again, running Spinrite every, like every quarter, every three months would only take an hour or two and and fix problems before they have a chance to get this advanced. It is the case that if it is in this horrible condition and you've got time spinrite will typically repair it as as tyson found out but boy preventative maintenance especially for a laptop really does make sense and you know here's another instance of spinrite doing the job to the rescue we have questions you have answers 
Yep. We'll continue with this episode of Security Now in a moment. But first, a word from our friends at Audible.com. Those great audio books that I talk about all the time. I'm a huge fan of Audible. I like going to Audible's site frequently because uh, I get ideas for things uh, to listen to. There are 150,000 books here. It is really kind of one of the best bookstores in the world. And so many. Oh, oh! I know what I have to get. Jim Henson's biography, a lengthy biography, 21 hours of the great master of puppets, the, uh, the uh, man behind the Muppets, Jim Henson. This has been long awaited and long in the works, and it just came out uh, on Audible about a week ago. Uh, a comprehensive biography of Jim Hansen. Now, here's how you can get this for free. We know that you may be thinking, I don't know, do I like audiobooks? I'm not sure I'm an audiobook fella or gal. But look what they've got. Ender's Game. The new John Grisham is here. They've got history, too. I read a lot of history. The Girls of Atomic City, the untold, untold story of the women who helped win World War II. I like that kind of history. Stuff that... You know, it's you know, only now coming out. It's great. I learn all the time. Whenever I'm in the car, whenever I'm at the gym, I'm listening to Audible.com. Why is Mike Tussin on the cover of this book? Because he wrote it. Undisputed Truth. <laughs> I, you got to read Mike Tyson's biography. Autobiography. Wow. So here's the deal. We know you may not know how you feel about audiobooks. You may be thinking, I'd like to try it. Leo's always saying how great it is. But what should I, uh, how can I try it without any risk, without any expense to me? How can I get a book free, you might ask? You can go to audiblepodcast.com slash security now. You'll be getting a sign up for the gold account. That's the book a month. First month's free. means your first book is free. Uh, and there are so many wonderful, wonderful books at audible.com. I have a feeling you're going to find something you want to listen to. So go browse around, pick a book. Sign up at audiblepodcast.com slash security. Now you can cancel any time in the first 30 days, pay nothing, but that book will always be yours to keep. Here's Stephen Levy's amazing in the Plex. I love this book. How Google thinks, works, and shapes our lives. Audiblepodcast.com slash security. Now there's Jeff Jarvis's book. What would Google do? Give it a try today. There's so many books here. It's hard to, it's hard for me to just, just I, in fact, I I do two books a month, and I probably could do four books a month. I'm just a huge fan. AudiblePodcast.com/slash/security. Now, Steve Gibson is here. He is ready. Are you ready? Are you girded? I am. Um, two things. Uh, somebody tweeted while uh, you were doing the uh, the Audible, uh, yeah, sponsorship that they were asking with all of these bad, um, uh. Bitcoin exchanges out there, what do I, you know, are there any good ones that I would recommend? And the advice is to use the exchange for exchanging between Bitcoins and currency, but do not use it to store your Bitcoins. That is, pull them out and, and essentially take them offline because you really need virtual currency to be kept somewhere under your control and preferably in a machine that's not even on the internet because as we all know malware i mean there's no question that malware will start you know looking around in machines for for bitcoins for bitcoin. that's just too valuable and all they need what do they need if they wanted to steal my bitcoins how would they steal my bitcoins they steal the file because there are certain files associated yeah, with my wallet yeah and 
they, the wallet they is encrypted, encrypted and yeah. so yeah if you have a good password you that's the other thing you want is you want a, a very very strong password we've got a great question we're going to get to uh, remember i mentioned last week that i was tempted to call the episode 256 bits is the new black um we that's another thing we didn't get to but i made it a i, I used the question uh in today's q a so we'll be, be talking about why 256 bits is enough bits because Bitcoin, the, the bit, a user's Bitcoin address essentially is a 256 bits. That's also the BitTorrent sync address. And it's also the strength of the master key in Squirrel. So, you know, I've looked at 256 bits and what that means extensively. And we're going to once and for all put that one to rest. Um, but I also want to mention, and I, and, I've, and I forgot, a really interesting report that was just published. It was actually on the blog of the Backblaze people. Backblaze is a major. You may want to bring click on that link at the, in in the show notes, Leo, if you can, and bring up. They've got some great charts. Really interesting analysis. Backblaze is a major cloud storage provider. You know, they're unlimited cloud storage. They've they've been over the course of several years. They've put twenty five thousand drives online, which they now have spinning. So they've been able to acquire a a really good evolving set of statistics, very much the way Google has with Google's big indexing project of the life of drives. And what they found, they've got some. There's a really cool graphic that shows sort of like three stages: year one, year two, and year three. And what they've determined is that. 80% of, of drives last four years. So that, which is to say that, that 20% of drives will die during the first four years of life and 50% of drives die by year six is the other thing that they have found. And there's an interesting. They've all. They also graph over the first three years. By the way, that the, the link is long. If you if you went to blog.backblaze.com, you I'm sure you could find it because it was it was eleven twelve is the date of their blog. Yeah, there's a neat chart there that you have on the screen now showing the nature of infant mortality, where drives die frequently when they're new, but then they sort of burn in and their death rate drops, and then as they get older. Their their death rate goes up again. This Just matches exactly. pretty closely Google's uh, results on its uh, longitudinal yes. drive study. Yes, yeah. and that other the, the the chart that I really like shows the three years: year one, year two, year three. Where in the beginning of year three, the rate of death begins to go up again. Drives begin dying. But I did think it was also interesting that fifty percent of drives die by year six, and and I again I. I would would love to take Spinrite into their facility and get some some sense for you know the nature of of drive death. What do they mean by that? Because we do know that preventative maintenance performed on drives is fabulously successful. I've got you know obviously I've been selling Spinrite now for more than twenty years, and there are people 
where it, it's very much like people who take vitamin D and they no longer get sick, although everybody around them is sick. They're people who are using Spinrite on their drives and theirs never die. Whereas, you know, they're like fixing other people's drives all the time because they're not running Spinrite. So it, it really is, you know, effective preventative maintenance. Yeah, but you got to figure a company like Backblaze, it's not worth their time or exactly. the risk of trying to recover drives of a drive exactly and that's why these numbers are skewed a little bit by their lack of tolerance for any failure any error at all they're going to throw it out they they yank it out and right. let's slide a new right. one in right so i'm sure google does and, the same thing yep google's results very 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 similar if you look at their uh, annualized yes. failure rates broken down by age groups. yes uh, it, it you know they they maybe say it starts dying a little sooner it sounds like backblaze says four years Google says the the drive failure rates start to go up pretty rapidly after two years or three years. And you know, Leo, I'll bet that the reason is Google probably works the heck oh, yeah. out of their They're drives. They're on full time. Yeah. Yes. So a big, uh, you know, a, a, well, a global indexing system is probably thrashing its drives, mm-hmm. whereas a cloud storage facility, the drives are probably just spinning, right. but, un, but un, not moving. Unused. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Although um, there, it, Google does correlate utilization rate with failure rate. So there's some interesting stuff. Both of those are really worth reading. I don't yeah. know, I'll leave it to you to, to summarize what they, what they mean. I'm not sure. Is, do you have a favorite drive manufacturer? You know, they keep getting bought. I, was a lo- I loved Mac Store. I loved Quantum. They're both gone. Um, it's basically uh, Western Digital, Hitachi, and Seagate. Those are the three yes, companies now. Yes, and 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 Hitachi bought IBM. IBM had really good drives. I think Hitachi's very good. I I, I have an anti-Western Digital bias that I cannot justify, and it's not fair. <laughs> You're not alone, that, by the way. A lot of people I, share that. Yeah, I, I you know the the I think they're they're the most consumer. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I just I, – I don't use Western Digital. I buy Seagate or or Hitachi. But I don't think that's fair. I mean that's not ba- – I know no. I will hear from people saying, oh, I've never Each had Each of them Western have Digital. problems. Western Digital had some really bad BIOSes for a while that were a real problem. And I think that's soured and I, and, a lot of people on Western Digital. Yes, and and there have been – there have been, you know, all of them go through phases where they've got like some process right, problems. Right. Where they'll have like a batch of bad ones that 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 hurt people. And I think it's I a just, commodity at this point. Commodity yeah. was the word I was looking for. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that there's not much. They're like pork bellies. One's pretty much like the other. Yeah. Uh, I have questions. Do you have answers? Yay. Let's find out. Mr. Steve Tiberius Gibson. <laughs> By the and way, they took time. that out of your Wikipedia entry. It now just says Steve Maury Gibson. That's know. probably good. Hey, did Tiberius show up in that list of passwords? Probably not. No, but I wouldn't <laughs> use it. Don't. You, not for you. Just, what, what, that, what that shows us is it has, you have to get a random source. I use the, the junk that LastPass generates. Yep. Uh, so good. But for... But all of my Wi-Fi passwords I got from GRC. I just copy the string off of, you know, passwords.htm at GRC, and that's what I use because nobody is ever going to, you know, reproduce that. Nobody. It's impossible. 
I use very weak Wi-Fi passwords. It is a pain in the ass, though, setting up a new. Yeah, a new I use really weak, <laughs> really weak passwords. They're not, you know, they're not monkey one two three, but I use weak passwords on my Wi-Fi because that's nobody. How are you going to attack that? You have to be in physical proximity. I'll see him sitting on the curb going, let's try this. Well, yeah, but for me, I can't let anybody into my network. Yeah, you're different. Yeah. Bob Hart, Medford, Oregon writes, Hi, Steve. You always provide an entertaining and informative show, and last week's was great as always, but left me with a question. So, now I know that Adobe's poorly encrypted password database and source code was compromised, but the encryption key that they used is still secret. I can see that a string of encrypted data was the same in a lot of cases, but how do we know that Monkey corresponded to that string without encrypting it using Adobe's encryption key? I must have missed something. Clarification would be nice. And thanks for uh, Spinrite for keeping my disks healthy. Okay, so we we do not know that that Monkey relates to the encrypted string. Because, as Bob comments, we do not know what the, what the key is, and we probably never will. We have to assume that Adobe chose a really good random number just one time, and that's the static key for their crypto. We know that there's only one key because we can see the, the, the correspondence between people's people's encrypted version and their hints because the hints were not encrypted they're in the clear so which is dumb really because obviously adobe since it's reversible encryption adobe could have encrypted the hint and then decrypted the hint when it was necessary to, pro to provide it to the user but you know who, who i mean there's no no understanding what adobe was thinking when they created this so the way we know that it is symmetric cipher is the hints correspond to the same cipher text. The reason we will never know what the key is, although, wow, we would love to, because there's lots of, of hints that are not clear or blank hints. And if we knew what the key was, we would instantly have every single password, even the really strong ones. Remember, the only, the only passwords we have are the ones that were so weak that they were used so often that we could then jump across and use the hints that people used to link all of them together. So the reason we will never know what the key is is that if our assumption is correct, that it's triple DES, and that's a reasonable assumption, the block length being 64 bits is the giveaway because DES is a 64-bit block. They couldn't have used a single DES. That would be crazy. That would just be a 56-bit key because that's the key length of the 56-bit block encryption DES. Probably they use triple DES. So that's three 56-bit keys, one of those 56-bit keys for each round of de each usage of or application of des in turn so that's 168 bits that's a lot we'll be talking a little bit here in a minute about 256 bits and how big that is but 128 
it might as well be, you know, it's it's out of reach. Remember that that AES itself, the AES cipher that was recently standardized on, um, is often used with a 128-bit key. So that is regarded as is as as strong as we need. So 128 bits is already beyond cracking. 168 bits is 40 more than 128. 40 more means 2 to the 40th stronger. Well, 2 to the 40th is about 10 to the 12th. So that's a million million times stronger hmm. than a, so that so 168 bits which is what adobe's probably using if they use triple des is a million million times stronger than 128 bits and that's already strong enough for ssl and for like all the things that we're currently protecting with the Rindall aes cipher so we're never going to know Unless Adobe leaks it or, you know, it was in their source code or something. We're, we're, we're never going to know what the key is. So for really, really strong passwords, we have no clue. But for the weak ones, since so many people reuse the same password. Well, and, and their, their password hints gave it away. This is where yes. the failure was. The password hints yes. were in the clear. And it turns out, apparently, there's a misunderstanding about a password hint. A widespread misunderstanding that the password hint perhaps should contain the password <laughs> <laughs> or the hint should not be rhymes with asword. That's a bad hint. Yeah. But so you know, many of them the, said the password is Yeah, just and and, and uh, apparently this was not a high value account by the well, way. Well, somebody's pointing some, that out. A lot of people said you yes. had to make an account if you wanted to download Trialware. So people didn't How's care. Up? Yeah. Yes. So we don't know out of the what was it 130 million uh, accounts that were leaked out. How many of those were, were high value? My account was because I had a credit card associated with it because I bought stuff from it, uh, but well, I used a strong remember, password. So the problem is that you that what the 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 guys were getting was your email address and often a password because somebody else was leaking your password by right. by virtue if of you, their bad hint exactly. on the, and the. On the same encryption, then people. In fact, Facebook did this. I, I never had a chance. I saw this pass by, but I didn't have a chance to track it down. Uh, I, as I understand it, Facebook was looking at that repository, seeing whether they had the same email address as somebody whose password was leaked, and then telling you that you had to change your password, um, or or something. I didn't. I didn't. Did, did you follow that or see what that was, Leo? That uh, Facebook did. No, but that's clever. I didn't. I didn't know that they had done that. I thought that was very proactive yeah. of them. Yeah, yes. go out and look and see if a, 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 a email address is the same as a member's email address, and if it is, send yep. them a note saying, "Yeah, you might as well change uh, your password." Uh, they didn't right. do it to me, but uh, hey, by the way, I did get an email from uh, Joe Segrist at uh, LastPass. Because remember, yes. last week we gave out uh, the very nice feature that LastPass did, lastpass.com slash Adobe, where you could search the database. Uh, but what <laughs> what uh, Joe did that may maybe he didn't, you know, wasn't thinking about it was it would then, if you if you were found in the database, send you an email 
at that address. Well, of course, any email address could arbitrarily be entered into that search. Mine was by many others. So I got a lot of emails. He to see whether your to see whether your email address right. was part People of people were checking my email address probably got yeah. it you know so he's, Joe said just want to apologize we hit you with spam it won't happen again uh, love the show guys it was a good one yesterday and thanks for the continued support so thank you Joe that's yeah and I uh, you know me I love LastPass there's no no worry about that and I, and I'll mention Leo that I had a lot of feedback saying that they really liked last week's podcast last week's was one of those just so much news to talk about where we we went you know did a lot of depth on a lot of topics and right. when we do that i i it's the time i see the most positive oh, sure. feedback we have a lot of geeks in the audience who want to know yeah yeah they care yeah. yep well we got one now here's a geek are you ready from twitter wayne t taylor he's a 140 character geek is uh Oops. is that wrong did i skip one two. yep well let's not skip two <laughs> That was that was question one. Bob Arles, Meta Robert on Twitter. SGGRC, BitTorrent Sync. Yes, I love it. They have to do this in such cryptic form. BitTorrent right. Sync problem, question mark? If I start guessing secret keys, am I not effectively trying against all clients with each try? Yes, you are, of course. Yes. yes. Now, Theo, this is where I wanted to talk about 256 bits this it, it unnerves people the idea that BitTorrent sync has for your address a randomly chosen 256 bit token and that's your identity that's what i'm using as i mentioned before for the user's identity on squirrel sqrl the my proposed login replacement that's what Bitcoin uses as your identifier for Bitcoin. You know, that's your unique thing. And so people say, yeah, but what if there's a collision? What if I get the same one? Then I'm going to have access to all of those files of the other person who has the same one. And it's like, okay. So it, it, the, that's true. First of all, absolutely true. If two people share the same, exactly the same, not one single bit different, exactly the same 256 bits, then for all intents and purposes, for BitTorrent Sync, for Bitcoin, and for a squirrel, and anything else using 256 bits, you're the same person. There's a collision. So... This is the so-called birthday attack. The, the point of a birthday attack is it's, it asks the question, in a population of people having some number of possibilities, what's the chance, the probability, that any two of them share the same Birthday, if, if, if we're in the case of birthdays with, with 365 days in the year, what's the chance of a birthday collision? In the, in the larger case, in the case we're discussing with 256 bits, that's a lot. There's a lot of possibilities. So the question is, what's the chance of a collision? And I want to, for all, for all time, we're now going to coin some, some standards here so that we put this issue to rest. 
Okay, so there is a the, – the actual math, the, the statistics is amazingly complex. Wolfram has a page with equations you can't even believe that like works to explain the, the – to, to give you an exact value for this. But a useful approximation, a useful approximation of the probability of a collision – is n squared, n where that's the number of people, the, the number of accounts, the number of, of like the number of people in the pool. So that number squared over 2 to the number of bits plus 1. So like 256 bits plus 1, 257. So, so the number of people squared over divided by two to the power of two fifty seven would apply, and this is true so long as the number of people in the pool, the number that we're checking for collision, is very much smaller than two raised to the power of half the number of bits, or two to the one hundred twenty eight. Well, since two to the one hundred twenty eight is <laughs> Really, another one of these really huge powers. Yes, n for reasonable numbers, like a billion people or seven billion people on the planet, for example, very much smaller. So that that inequality is satisfied easily. Okay, so plugging this in, plugging these numbers into this equation for a population of a billion users, we have so we have a billion. BitTorrent sync users. Obviously, we're never going to have that many. But say that we, just for the sake of arguing, a billion. Or a billion Bitcoin users. You know, one-tenth the population of the planet are using Bitcoin. Or a billion Squirrel, SQRL, login users. You Reasonable number. Okay. A billion. The chance of a collision is one in... 4.3 times 10 to the 60, 60. One in 4.3 times 10 to the 60. Now, the problem, okay, that's a very big number, very, very low probability of collision, but not zero. Okay, well, so we need to get, I, I want to develop a sense of scale for how small the chances are, and how much concern we should give this. Okay, so, so let's compare this to something that we can get behind. And that is an extinction-level event caused by a major meteor strike on the Earth. Okay. Okay? <laughs> yeah. One of those, an ELE, an E-L-E, an extinction-level event mm -hmm. is estimated to occur, on average, about once every 30 million years. Okay, so that's how often it's going to happen. Once every 30 million years. Yeah. Now, what that means is the chance of it happening within the next second. <laughs> okay? There went one. Oh. <laughs> there went another one. Yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. There went a third. Okay. The chance 
of it happening, of an extinction-level event, of, of this question no longer being relevant to us because we're all gone. <laughs> or the weather's really crappy, yeah. <laughs> one in 10 to the 15th. Okay. One every second, one in 10 to the 15th chance yes. that we no longer have this as a concern because we're gone. Okay, a meteor struck the Earth. Right. That is 10 to the 45 times more likely to happen <laughs> than, a, than a collision between any two people in, in, with a billion users of Bitcoin, BitTorrent Sync, or Squirrel. <laughs> 10 to the 45 is a trillion, trillion, trillion billion so every second that goes by there's a one in 10 to the 15 chance that we're all obliterated oh there went another couple seconds yeah but steve, every single it could happen mm-hmm. <laughs> it could, but steve it could happen <laughs> it actually couldn't there, it actually cannot no it could happen though it actually cannot happen <laughs> And I could win the lottery tomorrow. It's a trillion, trillion, mm. trillion, billion times more likely <laughs> that in the next second we will all cease to exist. <laughs> and we this will be the last thing on our minds. This will be a problem. I mean, believe me, whether your Bitcoin wallet is full or not, it's not what you're worrying about. But there is a chance it could happen. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just teasing you now. It's actually zero. It's actually the. It's I mean, so close to zero, zero as. Yeah. If yeah. Zero fell off the. Edge, yes. But it could happen. <laughs> I'm sorry. Let's take a break. When we come back, more of your questions, more of Steve's answers. Uh, this this rivals the people ball explanation. <laughs> yes, that was, that was a good one. That was a good one too. Light, light cannot reach from one end of the uh, of the ball, the people sphere ball. of people, <laughs> and besides, there will be uh, they, the ones in the middle will be undergoing nuclear. <laughs> They'll be in a black hole. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it still could happen. All right, because you know you're going to get an email. It, but it, but you're not. There is a chance. It's a finite chance. No. Sh- no. <laughs> Oh, and by the way, only 106,185 people have signed up for Obamacare. The oh, the numbers was, came out. Yeah. 106,185. It's better than six. That was the first day. That was a slow start. <laughs> yeah, that website, kind of a mess. Yeah. Our show today brought to you by our friends at ProXPN. This is how you need to protect yourself online we've talked before about an open vpn and certainly if you have the technical capability the skills to set up your own open vpn server i think that's a great idea uh maybe a violation of your uh, isp's terms of service but that's another matter and get, get you know get on level three uh buy a dedicated system make sure you harden it and uh, set up your own open vpn or you can go to proxpn.com and Get your guard up. The ProXPN is dedicated to letting the Internet work the way it was intended to, without oversight, without your ISP spying on you, anonymously, no geographic restrictions. ProXPN operates outside of the United States as well as inside. 
You can use servers all over the world, Dallas, Seattle, London, Singapore, Amsterdam, Los Angeles, New York City. That means any geographic restrictions on uh, content or whatever are eliminated. Of course, you're completely secure if you're surfing at an open access spot. All of your traffic is encrypted as it leaves your computer on the way to the ProXPN servers. It's a great service. They also work with your iOS or Android device. They do have apps for both, which is great. You can use PPTP on devices that doesn't that don't support the OpenVPN standard. But iOS and Android, yes, now you can use OpenVPN. I want you to visit ProXPN.com slash twit and sign up with the offer code SN20. Here's the deal. They have a free service. In fact, if you go to the bottom of the page, you'll see a comparison of, of free versus paid uh, accounts. They have them both. Um, you know, so t if you wish to try the free service, please do. If you want uh, a little bit more speed and so forth, the paid service is very affordable, $10 a month, $75 when you buy a year, but we're going to make it more affordable. Because if you use the offer code SN20, you'll get 20% off, not for the first month or year, but forever. That means they're less than 5 bucks a month on the yearly plan for this kind of protection. It's well, well worth it. Steve recommends OpenVPN as a solution if you're using email, if you're using an open Wi-Fi access spot, if you just want to eliminate the, your ISP from snooping on you, then you got to try it. ProXPN.com slash twit. Don't forget, if you decide to buy the offer code SN20, you can't cancel any time in the first seven days. So it makes it, there's really no risk at this. And I think you're going to really like it. They do it so well. And don't forget to take a look at their... Uh, their mobile apps for Android and iPhone. ProXPN.com slash twit. We thank them so much for their support of Steve's efforts here on Security Now. Our next question is another tweet from Wayne T. Taylor, Rambling Geek UK. He asks, Mr. G, is there any point to having a security certificate on my site in light of the revelations about NSA spying? <laughs> Wow. That's an interesting well, question. Well, you know, it's like, wow. should I give up or right. not? I mean, I, right. I can understand that. And so I thought, and I thought it was an interesting question because there, there is a lot that SSL provides somebody. You know, even if you use one of the cheesy free certificates that doesn't provide any verification of your domain name. I mean, SSL, for example, provides privacy through encryption and and presumably authentication which prevents fishers you know phishing attacks from being effective because your certificate is being vouched by or vouched for by a certificate authority whom whom your browser trusts so you know the you know in a in an open wi-fi environment where which is like all Starbucks hotspots and airport and so forth, where you have no log on at all, as we know, all of the traffic is decrypted. Everybody is essentially well. I mean, there is no encryption on the traffic; it, it's in the clear. So anyone doing passive eavesdropping, just like you know the, the Fire Sheep little add-on for for Firefox that was, you know, was instrumental in forcing companies to encrypt themselves. This is why is that you can't do session 
state management securely without encryption. You can't give somebody a cookie for them to hold to identify them as they move around your website without encryption because otherwise everything they're doing is in the clear. So so it, it's it's unfortunate that you have to go to a certificate in order to get encryption, but certificates now that for like a, a one-year expiration are f- available for free. Um, I think Start SSL is a is a source for those. So, absolutely, there's lots of reason, irrespective of whether the NSA is able to, you know, get your key from from the the certificate authority or go to some extreme lengths to crack your encryption for for the benefit of your customers in the typical everyday use you know SSL provides all kinds of absolutely worthwhile benefits definitely worth doing question 4 from Aberdeen Scotland Kyle wonders whether knock is really secure as always, and certainly owes blah, blah, blah praises, but I need to say that I do actually appreciate all the good work you do, and the amount of knowledge you help me understand is just amazing. There's no one, and I mean no one, oh, come on, blah, 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 not even at the university where I, at which I graduated, who can explain these topics as well as you, the explainer-in-chief, Mr. Stephen Tiberius Gibson. I can't thank you enough, and I, too, will thank you with purchases of spin right in the near future. Do that in a Scottish accent, I dare you. So, Steve... <laughs> After having looked at the knock app, which really does work just fabulously, it got me to thinking about how secure it really is. Are you are you familiar with this app, Steve? Yeah, we talked about it last week. Actually. Oh, all right. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. It's technically speaking totally secure, as I trust your explanation last week's uh, podcast. But physically speaking, and by the way, I can give you some real world uh, uh, feedback on this because I I set it up with a surprising result. Myself, but physically speaking, or implementation-wise speaking, is it secure? I mean, a knock-knock on your phone doesn't represent you in any way. It's not a password, not a fingerprint. It's not even a unique knock-knock. I understand this app is to make things totally convenient, but I wouldn't use it just because anyone could easily fool the system to be you. I just thought I'd get your thoughts on this, as it's interesting to think that sometimes even the most technically secure systems are broken if their implementation is weak. I mean, really, you know, it's pretty obvious. If you so, just for those who don't know, this is an app for the Mac and for the iPhone. You put it on the iPhone and you put it on your Mac. It uses low energy Bluetooth, Bluetooth LE. And yep. when I approach my Mac, uh, my fo- it senses my phone. That happens anyway. And yep. now the app on the iPhone, if I knock on the iPhone twice, <laughs> unlocks the Macintosh. It says I'm here. And of course, the, the only authentication you're using is the fact that you have the phone. Now, yep. I will give you a real-world uh, issue that came up for me. I set it up uh, here in the studio. Unfortunately, Sarah also had it on her phone. And for reasons I'll never understand, both times I set it up, it set it up to work with Sarah's phone, not mine. Oh, <laughs> boy. Even though I was sitting right Oops. next to it, it doesn't wow. obviously care where you are. The fact that it was within range of two phones, it chose Sarah's twice. And she's wow. currently still set up to knock, knock, unlock my laptop. <laughs> okay, so um, that's disturbing in the extreme. Well, but there's no way but to reject I, a, another Bluetooth LE. Uh, it doesn't give you well, a choice. It just it does it. That, so that's a bad implementation. Yeah, they should give um, you a it choice. Should, 
Yes, it should absolutely. You know, we talked once about the only vulnerability of Bluetooth being the the the, the moment of pairing. And that somebody who was really concerned should go walk into the middle of a an empty parking lot, maybe like, you know, a, a stadium or a shopping center sometime where no one is within 30 feet of that, you know, the typical Bluetooth range and do their pairing then. Because it's only in that instant that there's any vulnerability. Well, and Bluetooth the, LE has 100 feet. I mean, it has a much larger range. See, Sarah Cake... 5S is the phone that can unlock. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> and it never so, gave me that choice. It never said really, whose phone do you use. disturbing. And you so, know, when, I, gosh, when you uh, pair a Bluetooth thing, these things jump through. Hoop. Oh, make sure the pairing number is the same. Are you sure you're seeing it? Nothing. Yeah. Nothing. Well, these guys, I, I'm disappointed. What I was responding to was the crypto architecture, not the implementation. And several other people... Who, who also said that they were worried because, for example, they, they didn't even have to knock their phone twice. They they could bump into the counter and it yeah. would it would right. unlock their their machine. Right. So again, I I wanted to follow up and explain that I wasn't thinking that this was like good security. This was interesting. Good. This was correct crypto. Right. But obviously, these guys have huge implementation problems. They they went and we've always talked about you know security and and convenience being at odds i'm shocked that they didn't do a you know ent you know enter a code on each end so we can figure out which is your phone oh, that's too much trouble crazy. <laughs> wow that's you know that's disappointing that is sad isn't it <laughs> yeah um, and by the way uh, this you could do this with bluetooth there's your article here on lifehacker from last june on uh, unlocking your uh, computer just by uh, sensing the Bluetooth, you know, a variety of apps that do this as you walk into the room. This is Windows Orange. And actually, that's question number five we oh, have well, following up. Here we four. go. I'm already uh, <laughs> ahead of you. All right. Let's move on now then. To, thank you, Kyle. Thank you for the kind words, too. Stuart Ward in Maidenhen, UK. You're big in, uh, in the British Isles. Notices that Bluetooth unlocking is nothing new. Oh. Linux users have had this for a number of years. Yep. Have a look at Blue Proximity. It's a SourceForge project. There's no function on the phone, so any device will accept a Bluetooth connection that will accept a Bluetooth connection can be used. The security is based on Bluetooth pairing, so you have to pair the device to your computer for it to work. I've used this for a few years. The only caution I would make is if you're away from your computer but still close enough to make a Bluetooth connection, yep. this can drain your phone battery more quickly because the phone will need to transmit at full power. When near the dynamic power of Bluetooth means that the ping connection is not a significantly battery drain. So if you're close, uh, it's not a problem. It's only if you're kind of right at the edge of the uh, 10 meters. Well, and that's one of the reasons that these guys who did knock chose LE. to use Bluetooth LE. Yeah. Yes, yeah. it's far. It's a, they, they brought the bandwidth of the connection down and deliberately used the low energy variant that's in right. Bluetooth version 4.0. What happens with Bluetooth, similarly to cell phones, is they dynamically change their transmission power based on a report they get from the other end about the received signal strength. So as you get as you stretch out the length of your connection, the received signal strength that is reported from the other end drops, and so they they put more 
juice into transmitting in order to keep the signal strength up. So LE solves that problem to a much greater degree. Um, and, and I just wanted to say, yes, there have been other Bluetooth connection suggestions. Um, hopefully they've been done, you know, well, with more security in mind, with, you know, more actual practical application security yeah. rather than just the low-level crypto, which is sort of free because Bluetooth gives it to you. Right, right. Uh, moving along to another tweet, this one from Economic Mayhem, probably thinking of the fact that uh, the folks at TrueCrypt recently are about to undergo a security audit, wants to know, shouldn't you advocate audits before getting 100% behind a product like Threema or OTR? You know, and, and I I saw this and I thought, okay, you know, let's talk about this for a minute. Because, you know, in a perfect world, yes, we would like to have everything audited. Um, but look but, how long we've been using TrueCrypt without an audit. Yes. And, and the fact, I mean, people say, well, I, you know, I'm not using anything that, you know, that I don't know exactly what it does. Well, but you're using a processor chip. You're using an operating system you did not write yourself from scratch. Yeah. You know, all the time. They're, they're, yeah. They're, it's you want to have your eyes open, certainly, and and look at the people that just lost tons of bitcoins mm. because they were using some some bitcoin exchange that they had no direct personal knowledge or control over. So, so all we can do is is have our eyes open and use our best judgment. You know, do does everything we see from the people of Threema look right? And I say yes. You know, their their FAQ and the details they provide all look correct. And and they're and nothing nothing raises a red flag to me. And they want a dollar for their Device to, to to use their product so that so that they can pay for for the infrastructure that they have to create. Um, in the case of OTR, the off the record protocol, you know that's been heavily crypt analyzed by people to understand how it works, and it's been well vetted now, so we know we can use it. Um, my problem with BitTorrent Sync. All of their all of their words they're using sound good, but they're really being vague about what they do. And there's and it's like, okay, wait a minute. It's is it open source? Is it open protocol? You know, how, what what are they going to open? And and we just don't know. But I would imagine that they did security right. They understand security. So there are there are clearly situations where we can look at what's what we're told like when we did the review of cloud storage providers about half of them were wrong and we could say okay this is not tno this is clearly not correct in the case of apple for example with iMessage you know they're they've they've said we 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 know that they did not do the protocol correctly and it's closed so we can say well they have the be they have good intentions but they're not telling us what they're doing in detail so it's hard for us to trust them completely
So, you know, unfortunately, security requires absolute knowledge to have absolute security. And we're not going to have absolute knowledge unless we go, you know, make our own chips and write our own operating systems and write all the applications that run on it, which, you know, no one is able to do now. Yeah, so we have to just live in a world where we trust people. Yeah. But I would say you could trust open source a little bit better because at least well, and in theory yes. it's, it's on display. Well, and, and look at look at the intent, look at the background of the people, look at, you know, what their goals are. For example, I will be writing a, a an SQRL um, client for implementing that protocol in assembly language. And, uh, you know, doing, you know, and, and talking about the protocol, it'll be open, it'll be using open libraries. Um, and, you know, everyone will understand that uh, there's, I have no, no ulterior motive other than creating the most secure implementation I am capable of creating. And I believe people will trust me. Yeah. And if they don't, they don't have to. And, you know, if you put your coinage in a Chinese, uh, you know, a Chinese locker, you know, bit uh, Bitcoin exchange and it turns out they're fraudulent. Well, gee, maybe that wasn't the right place to put your money. To be fair, you coined the term trust no one, TNO. Yes, TNO. That wasn't a that wasn't a call to action. That was uh, a description of a certain kind of thing. That yes, it, it was the it was an acknowledgement, an ex, an explicit acknowledgement that we have the technology. That's the key. We can do TNO, and in fact, that that leads nicely into the next question. Uh, number seven from Steve Davidson in Eastern Massachusetts. He wants to know what you think of iCloud Keychain, the new feature uh, Apple's offering in uh, Mavericks OS ten ten point nine. And in general in iOS 7, too, right? It comes with 7 and Mavericks. That's right. Right. Uh, he says it looks to be a lot like LastPass for the rest of us. I use LastPass, but I'm a listener security now, so I can't be called normal on the geeky scale. LastPass does require a bit of technical skill to use and the willingness to use a special browser on an iPad. I'd really like for my octogenarian father and other non-technical relatives to have a good, easy-to-use password vault. iCloud Keychain does seem to be the right thing, or is it? What does Steve think of the security model of the one or two setup options, which seem to be the safest to make the most sense to our guru, and of the of the one or two setup options, which makes the most sense to our guru and advisor Steve Gibson? I'm not as worried about NSA snoops as I am about protecting them should Apple ever be compromised. Could you please weigh in on this? Thank you, Steve Davidson. So here we have a problem, and that is that Apple doesn't document their stuff. You know, Apple is easy to use and gives us nice little switches that we can turn on and off. And we have to take them at their word. Now, again, I tend to be trusting. That is, if someone says, this is what we're doing, for me, it's like, okay, um, the consequence of them not doing it, of, of Apple lying to us about what they have deliberately engineered for iCloud would be catastrophic. Mm. And we know, for example, that Apple is as now, what, what was it, their canary policy, where, they, the, where they're, they're going to preemptively tell us periodically that they have not been served with a letter from the NSA, 
because they're unable to tell us when they have been, which is sort of clever. It's like, okay, they're sounding like, you know, their heart's in the right place. So what do we know from Apple? What has Apple stated about iCloud Keychain? They have said that it is encrypted, the Keychain data encrypted in transit and when stored on their server. They've said they use 256-bit AES encryption. Now remember that the AES encryption is a block cipher whose block length is not changeable. It's always 128 bits. But the key is what is changeable. So when we say 128-bit AES, we mean a key of 128 bits. Theirs is double that. Now here we are. That's my favorite new number, 256. 256 bit is the new black. <laughs> and so, you know, they're using this this level of encryption which is a trillion 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 billion times stronger than the chance of of us all being wiped off the earth in the next second. So, we're fine. Um so long as that's the only so long as brute force guessing is the only vulnerability. So they're using that encryption to store and transmit passwords and credit card information. They also use elliptic curves, asymmetric crypto, and key wrapping. So they're sounding like they're doing all the right things. They have written that iCloud keychain encryption keys are created on our devices. So this is the model where, this is TNO. This is the model where an asymmetric key, they're saying they're using elliptic curve asymmetric crypto, as am I, for example, with Squirrel, because that's the right one now. Um, now, we don't know which, but there aren't known problems with elliptic curves, even if you use the standardized elliptic curves. As far as we know, they're okay. I'm using Dan Bernstein's curve because I'm just a little afraid of NIST and their past affiliation with the NSA. But still, Apple's doing the right thing, TNO. So the keys are created on our devices, and Apple can't access those keys. Only encrypted keychain data passes through Apple's servers. And Apple cannot access any of the key material that could be used to decrypt that data. So they're saying that the private key stays on the device and the public key, presumably, is what's encrypted and exchanged. Um, maybe. I mean, again, unfortunately, we don't know what the architecture is. They do. They continue to say only trusted devices that you approved can access your iCloud keychain. They say advanced settings allow you to choose an iCloud security code longer than four digits, oh, and my goodness, please do, or have your device generate one for you. And they said you can choose to disable keychain recovery, which means that iCloud keychain is kept up to date across your approved devices but the encrypted data is not stored with Apple and cannot be recovered if all of your devices are lost. So if we reverse engineer this, this says that if you allow Apple to store your iCloud keychain data on their servers, 
you and you lost all of your devices so that you so that you had no, you you didn't have your own local database then you could go to their web page or maybe get another iCloud device put in the same security code and it would download it and then decrypt it locally on your device so that says they do have the keys but they're in that is all the keys including it's again we don't know what they're doing with asymmetric crypto this is this such this is what's so frustrating about not having any protocol documentation is that we have to like from what they say kind of guess and reverse engineer but they are saying i guess that if if they store a copy of your iCloud data that you can recover it with your with your encryption code whatever they call that somewhere here um even if you lost all your devices so you want that to be very good otherwise because that's what you're relying on and for safety you probably don't want them you at least you want to disable what they're calling um what was it uh keychain recovery so disable keychain recovery then they're not storing a copy on their servers because to me that does not seem safe if if they're storing it it must be that it's only protected by your password and that doesn't seem safe so disable keychain recovery they don't keep a copy but then it's up to you to make sure you don't lose all your devices and again that's the best we can do with what little we know yeah <clears throat> If you're going to give it to an octogenarian parent, the default settings need to be sufficiently adequate, are they? Um, yes, you can make it more setting... secure. But it sounds yeah, like the but... default settings aren't the best. Oh, if, the, no, there's, there's, the, the, the default is the four-digit code, yeah. which is insane. Yeah, I, no, and I storing it for recovery. So to really to answer his question, he's saying, look, is this for the rest of us? You know, if you're smart, you're using LastPass. Is this good enough for the rest of us? And to me, that means using the defaults because the rest I'm of using us. ICloud, I'm using iCloud Keychain with an insanely strong password yeah. and, and no Keychain recovery. Right. And that's the right way to use it. it. Yes. But, and that's the way I'm using it. And, most and I am trusting Apple. Way. Right. And right. you're still trusting Apple. But most people will not use it that way. Well, so. I'm trusting Apple's description. I'm trusting that, you know, that what right. they've told me is true. If I turn off keychain recovery, they're not storing a copy on their servers, right. in which case I'm, um, we're only linking across devices, and, and they have no copy of it. Would you say that LastPass's implementation is preferable? Uh, not for the oct octogenarians. But uh, again, because I think octogenarians are going to stick with the defaults for four, four-digit four codes and uh, letting Apple recover it for them. Well, which... yeah, they'll they'll die before anyone decrypts their data. <laughs> well, I'm just saying the tyranny of the default. I didn't know that there was an option not to use a four-digit code. I'm going to have to look into that. I have a four-digit code on it because I didn't know there was an option not to. Yeah, they don't they don't expose that information. Yep. The tyranny of the default, as right, you say. Right. So I'm using Keychain in an insecure fashion. 
just because I didn't even know there was an option. Right. Finally, Peter Chase in Columbus, Ohio, wonders whether he can drop NoScript if he's using Sandboxy. We talked about Sandboxy uh, last week. I reinstalled Firefox on my wife's laptop. It's a Windows 8.1 device. As part of the process of getting rid of some AVG toolbar she would inadvertently installed, and uh, that was causing serious havoc, by the way. NoScript does not cooperate with Firefox Sync. So I have to laboriously reapprove all of our commonly used websites for NoScript. I've written to NoScript asking if they would consider having NoScript work with Firefox Sync so I wouldn't have to do this. He's approved certain sites, or she's approved certain sites, and Sync doesn't sync those sites. You have to enter it each right. time. Exactly. Right. Uh, my wife's laptop is getting all of its bookmarks and add-ons restored from my main machine via Firefox Sync. NoScript never responded to his email. After hearing last week's episode of Security Now, I took this as an excellent time to install Sandboxy. Yep. Hence my question. If some scripting mischief does occur, wouldn't it all stay within the sandbox? Our email is web-based, so sandboxing the browser should help things a lot. Your thoughts, please. Thank you, listeners. Number one. Since number one. Dittos, etc. Spin right owner. Thank you for your service to humankind. Yeah, I, I, I'm glad we talked about Sandboxy last week. Sandboxy is very mature. It really works well. And if you're using web-based email... Uh, by all means, put your browser in Sandboxy. And for someone like your wife, I mean, I like the control that NoScript offers. But for, for a less technical user, wrapping Sandboxy around your browser uh, makes absolute sense. You know, it's necessary. Then it's a little trickier. You have to like, drag things out of the Sandbox if you download a file that you want to keep because this, you know, that'll be stored in the sandbox. You need to manually drag it out of the sandbox. But, you know, for for someone just using webmail in this current world, where something like CryptoLocker is such a threat, uh, again, I think Sandboxy is a terrific solution for someone using web-based email or even just email. You know, you can certainly run Sandboxy not on just a browser, but you can Sandboxy your email client as well so it doesn't have to be web-based yes 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 i yes, think you yes, know yes. sam sandboxy deserves another look for those who l looked at it once is and it, haven't looked it at it compatible since. with 64-bit now don't know for know. sure but it must be because it's still cranking away yeah. it's cranking away yeah strongly. i don't think you can i don't think there is a 32-bit version of windows lying around uh, my friend steve gibson the time has come for us to say goodbye you have answered all the questions I have in our little box here. <laughs> <laughs> it's empty now. Thank you, Steve. Uh, we do this show every uh, Wednesday afternoon, 11 a.m. Pacific. That's 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 1900 UTC on twit.tv. Please tune in and watch live if you can. Uh, if you can't, though, on-demand audio and video is always available. Steve has 16 kilobit audio for the bandwidth impaired and handwritten, personally crafted by Elaine Ferris transcripts. So you can read along as you listen. All that's at grc.com, along with Spinrite, the world's best hard drive maintenance and recovery utility, and all the great freebies Steve offers. GRC, Gibson Research Corporation.com. You can also follow Steve at SGGRC on Twitter. You'll get lots of links throughout the week uh, by doing that. And, of course, we have full-quality audio and video at our site, twit.tv slash SN, or you can subscribe because this is everywhere. This is one of the oldest podcasts in the world. And so that means it's on every list everywhere. Hey, Steve, thanks so much. Thanks, Leo. See you next time on Security Now.
Security.